Hello and welcome to Order Order, Mail Plus Radio's politics podcast. With me, Simon Walters, Assistant Editor of the Daily Mail. And me, Amanda Platel, Daily Mail columnist. Coming up, one of the health ministers dealing with coronavirus says it is not true that a handshake might kill you. It's a matter of personal choice that shaking hands is fine, but the key thing here is to wash your hands. The legendary former Labour MP known as the Beast of Bolsover gives his first interview after being tamed by the Tories at the election. The leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, has been steadfast right through the period apart from on the question, the Jewish question. We discover the curious reason Boris Johnson is refusing to make it illegal for sports coaches to have sex with 16-year-olds they're training. I think that there was a concern that this could be seen as a backdoor uh, way of uh, raising the age of consent, which it's certainly not. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify, or leave us a review. Tell Alexa to play Daily Mail News and you'll hear the latest episode of Order Order. And emails anytime at orderorder at mailplus.co.uk. It started with the very public resignation of a top civil servant. In the last 10 days, I have been the target of a vicious and orchestrated briefing campaign. It has been alleged that I have briefed the media against the Home Secretary. This, along with many other claims, is completely false. The Home Secretary categorically denied any involvement in this campaign to the Cabinet Office. I regret I do not believe her. But the bullying claims against Pretty Patel haven't stopped coming. Labour have been quick to go on the attack, but is this a severe case of hypocrisy? Madam Deputy Speaker, does my right honourable friend find it extraordinary, like me, that at a time when uppermost in our constituents' minds are a, an international virus which is going to cause uh, chaos, many of our homes being under water and important trade negotiations about to start, that the priority of the opposition is to raise the resignation of a public servant that most of our constituents have never heard of. And having sat here for several years watching industrial-scale bullying from that chair, through which they remained silent, the minute the allegations involve a strong woman who does not curry favour with their stereotype, they go into overdrive. That was the Conservative MP Tim Loughton accusing Labour of hypocrisy for not standing up to the bullying by John Burko. Amanda, what's your take on this Pretty Patel row? It's a pretty extraordinary affair. Her top civil servant um, resigns. One of her officials in a previous department supposedly tried to commit suicide over her behaviour. You work with Pretty Patel. Is she a bully? Look, I think Tim's attempt to, um, to ride to Pretty's rescue is pretty valiant, but you can't get over the seriousness of the fact that we've now got three governmental departments that Pretty Patel ran, including the Home Office, all of which are accusing her of bullying. Now, this has to be taken incredibly seriously now. You know, it's... Um, I know Pretty, I've worked with her, she's very direct, um, she's very... she's a bit bolshy but I've never, ever found her to be rude. I worked with her for two years. But, you know, you've just got to see, it's a bit like the Me Too movement. Once an accusation goes in, then other people start to pile in, and then it becomes a point where the, the Prime Minister's going to have to say, how much is this damaging me? Mm. There were, I mean, there was a, the Rachel Sylvester, the Times political columnist, uh, wrote an extraordinary piece about Pretty this week where she quoted someone who'd worked with Pretty Patel, saying she was, quote... Vile, pushy, horrid, and a thicko. 
That's an incredibly strong thing to say about someone. It, it, some people have suggested that one of the reasons Pretty may be a, a bit of a bully is because she's not quite up to the job. I think that it's very easy to fall into that, isn't it? When I heard that quote, it was on the Today programme, because it's so astonishing, unsourced, of course, it actually made my heart sink because I know what it's like to be a woman in a man's world, you know, starting off in journalism as she is in politics, where you didn't go to the right school, you didn't go to the right university, you don't have, you know, there's, there, there is still a horrible, snobbish classism in this country. And that quote, especially calling someone a thicko, especially calling a woman a thicko, to me it just, it just smacks of all that classism. I thought it was horrible. The Health Minister, Ed Arger, has been at all the COBRA meetings on how to combat coronavirus. He says it's definitely OK to carry on shaking hands, as long as you've both washed them. He doesn't sing either the national anthem or happy birthday while he's washing his. He prefers singing the children's song Baby Shark while he washes his. He actually gave us a rendition at the end. Well, what we're doing and what we've said from the outset is we are working towards the best solutions here, but we're preparing for the worst scenario as well. That's what a responsible government would do. Now, as the chief medical officer has been saying, he's been guiding what we're doing on this. Um, we've managed pretty well up till now to contain the disease, but we do have to prepare for the next phase, which will be to delay the onset of that disease in terms of more people getting it. Now, I noticed when, when we met this morning, you very boldly shook my hand very heartily, uh, and I thought I thought that was advised against. Where, I mean, the Queen yesterday was wearing gloves for some of her ceremonies. So ha have we got it wrong about uh, shaking hands? Well, you will have heard yesterday Prime Minister and Secretary of State Matt Hancock both saying it's a matter of personal choice, that shaking hands is fine, they're shaking hands with people, but the key thing here is to wash your hands. It's about personal hygiene, it's about preventing transmission of the disease. So there's things we can all do to really make a difference. They do make a really big difference. Catching sneezes and coughs in a tissue and throwing that tissue away, but really importantly, washing your hands, because that really does cut down on the transmission right. of this disease. Can I just check, Minister, when did you wash your hands before shaking mine? Uh, just when I came into my office, a little bit before I met you, Simon. And what other measures? Uh, a lot of people are worried about, about their holidays. Is it likely that people are going to, there's going to have to be mass cancellations of, of, of holidays coming up over the Eastern period? Well, you will have heard the Chief Medical Officer yesterday when he was doing the uh, press conference with the Prime Minister saying that at this point he wasn't advising people to cancel their holidays or cancel flights or things like that. But he did set out, and it's not so much about flights and holidays, but he did set out in that document yesterday the sort of things that we might as a society have to think about mm. doing as we move to the next phase, as and when he advises that those things will be effective. And for the next week or so, what, what are we likely to see? Well, I think we will see an increase in the, uh, the number of incidences in this country of people with coronavirus. Chief Medical Officer has been clear about that. Are you going to put any numbers on it? The latest figures I have, which were verified, which are the ones yesterday and overnight, are 51 cases in the UK. Um, there are lots of extrapolations people can make from other countries, but they are only extrapolations and they're not based upon a, uh, a certainty. We're learning about this disease day by day. We have some of the best and most amazing scientists in the world working on this 
in this country trying to understand it. So while people can speculate on figures, we've got to be very cautious about what we read across from other countries' rates mm. to ours. But what he has said is he would expect the numbers to go up. I think one of the things that some people find confusing is obviously one realises that if you develop flu-like symptoms, you have to self-isolate. But, but, but what about people who may have been to an infected area and who aren't feeling symptoms? Should they self-isolate just as a safety measure? Well, the advice set out um, by the Chief Medical Officer is very clear on that. It's on the gov.uk website and it lists out those areas where firstly people shouldn't travel to but if people have come back from infected areas the steps that they should take in terms of self-isolation in terms of ringing 111 and it lists out where um, if you are symptomless if you've been to particular countries what you should do but where if you have symptoms what you should do but it's very very clearly set out on that website and the chief medical officer continually reviews that and updates as appropriate on the basis of our understanding of the disease as it grows. There's one last vital question I have to ask you. Do, do you sing the national anthem or happy birthday when you're washing your hands? Well I think the advice um, that Matt was uh, was using this week was that happy birthday I think sung twice. Um, I did see yesterday on the news a fantastic um, way they were doing this in a school which was by adapting the words of the, uh, the catchy, possibly in some people's mind, too catchy song, Baby Shark where they were getting the kids to sing that instead of uh, Baby Shark it was wash your hands um, use the soap and things like this to the tune of Baby Shark it's catchy it might be a bit irritatingly catchy but it seems to work Minister, can you now sing Baby Shark? <laughs> Simon, I've known you a very long time but you're not going to tempt me into that one <laughs> I should point out that that baritone voice coming at the end was not the health minister, although he did sing it to us afterwards. That's the last time I turned my tape recorder off after an interview. Um, Professor Chris Whitty says coronavirus may infect up to 80% of all people in the UK and kill one in 100 of those hit. The chief medical officer's comments at a Downing Street press conference suggest that up to 530,000 Brits could die in the very worst-case scenario of COVID-19. Probably around 1% of people who get this virus might end up dying based on the Chinese experience. We cannot be sure of is what proportion of the population uh, can get infected. Now, it will not go above 80%, so for planning purposes, of course, we go up to the highest rate that it reasonably could. But in reality, my view and Patrick's view are that the, uh, the, the proportion of the population you get infected is likely to be lower than that and probably a lot lower than that. So I think putting an overall number uh, is, is largely speculative, but those are, I think, the key things as people, it's important for people to understand. I mean, Boris Johnson's had a lot of flack in the last few weeks for not bothering to visit the people affected by the floods and for being holed up in his cheveling estate, Grace and Favour home. Um, I think actually his performance at the Downing Street press conference was actually very good. He looked statesmanlike. He was flanked by the two medical experts. And I think they've handled it well. They've obviously painted a picture of how it could get bad. I think they've prepared us for the worst. In, in quite a sensible way. Would you agree with that? I, I just, I really do think it's quite frightening. And, and I think constantly going on, like this number of 500, and what is it, 530,000 Brits could die. I mean, and they're saying that's almost impossible to happen. I don't know why they're giving us all these, these kind of um, apocalyptic 
figures because I think it just spooks people. You drive around, you walk around London at the moment, the streets are half empty, people aren't driving into London, you might say that's a good thing. Cab drivers are getting no work, businesses are not getting any work. So I, th I think the tone was over the top, but if frankly. You, but if you, it's a bit like if you know a hurricane is coming, don't you have a responsibility to say, look, a hurricane is coming, we don't know exactly how much damage it's going to do, but, you know, bolt your windows, get inside. Um, fair example, Simon, but, you know, it could just be a bit of a strong wind. We don't know if this is going to be a hurricane. And I think that it's having... We've already seen the effect it's having on the economy, and this is getting worse on a microcosm. My local high street is half empty, and if the street's half empty of people, the shops aren't, aren't doing any business. But, uh, look, I want to get back to the song, OK? I want to know what you wash your hands to. Come on. I actually wash my hands humming to Happy Birthday in English. Then I try and do a bit of the Spanish version, which oh, I learned from one of my you kids. Are so pretentious. What? You are so pretentious? Pre what? Why don't you do it in French as well? I've started doing it to um, to the Bee Gees. So I've got my dad's old um, um, stopwatch here. So I timed it. You can get through the first verse and a half of uh, 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 Staying Alive, Staying Alive. And that's a really good song, although sometimes I vary it with, because I'm watching, washing my hands so much, I've got eczema on them, sometimes I sing it to Elvis's Fever. Give us a line of that, Simon. Come on, you could do that. After hearing you sing, Amanda, I think I'd rather get coronavirus. <laughs> 88-year-old Dennis Skinner was MP for Bolsover for 49 years until he was defeated in the election. The ex-miner and left-wing hardnut recalls teasing Maggie Thatcher over how her mate Ronnie Reagan black-leaded his hair, all will be explained later. Die-hard Labour loyalist Skinner refuses to blame Jeremy Corbyn for his downfall, but even Dennis says Corbyn made a mess of the anti-Semitism row. Well, when you consider that I was in hospital having a hip replaced when the election took place, uh, then you're always, in your absence, thinking about a seat that otherwise could have been won. Yeah. And that was my view all along, that had I not been having the operation, uh, that's why I haven't got a stick nowadays, simply because uh, a hip replacement is a major operation. Yeah, and, and Dennis, you must have been gutted to see Boris Johnson uh, win this so-called red wall up north, win a mining seat like yours. How, how did that happen? Well, Boris, Boris Johnson didn't win it. I mean, Boris Johnson, in terms of, say, bowls of politics, was uh, nobody, really. There's no escaping the fact that the Tories won seats that Labour's had for a long time. Why did that happen, Dennis? I don't know, except that uh, there were a lot of seats that changed hands. Yeah. It wasn't just mine. No. It was nearly every seat stretching from Stoke in the south right up to... Uh, places in Durham in the north. But was, but was it because Labour was out of step on Brexit and the northern working classes were behind Brexit and, and Labour wasn't? I don't know the answer to that because I was, I was in bed at the time. And to what extent do you think it's fair to blame Jeremy Corbyn for Labour's defeat? I don't believe at any time we should blame Jeremy Corbyn. No, I know you've endorsed Richard Berg of a deputy. Who are you backing for leader? 
Well, I, I'm not sure yet. You were an MP here for 49 years. Everyone used the beast of Bolsover. You had a, you, you, you'd heckle Tories like mad, but you had a strange sort of love-hate relationship with Margaret Thatcher, didn't you? Tell us about no, that. No, I never had a, <laughs> I never had a relationship with Thatcher. Well, when she was going, I mean, you said she, you're better than the lot of them. In, no, in, in the tea room, they said that... Here's the grammar school boy, but you've got to understand as well that Thatcher also went to a grammar school. I says, and I used to blacklead the great, did you? And she didn't know what it meant. And I said, well, I'll give you another question. Why does that fellow Reagan blacklead his hair? I said, he knows what blacklead is, because he puts it on his hair. And that's when the whole thing collapsed. So those were the only words I ever uttered to Margaret Thatcher in all the years she was Prime Minister. And I'm going to stop now, but De Dennis, who, who, are the, who, who is the Labour uh, politicians you admire the most that you've worked with in all these years? People that stick to the guns. And they are? Uh, well, I would say that uh, the leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, has been steadfast right through the period, apart from on the question, the Jewish question. Well, I thought that was wonderful. I have to confess, Dennis Skinner is one of my all-time Labour heroes. you got to remember, this guy became a miner in 1949 and was down the pits for 20 years before he even started a commons career of nearly 50 years. And I should just explain, <laughs> black leaded the great is a kind of an old working-class tradition. You make sure you kept your fire great looking shiny and polished and you'd paint it with black leaded paint. And he was teasing Maggie Thatcher that that's how Ronnie Reagan kept his hair so shiny and black. Well, what he, a man. He, he's incredible. And it just makes you think, Simon, that... that you know, you just don't have characters like that anymore. Maybe the kind of the closest we've got is maybe someone like Reese Mogg, who's quite sort of quirky and and but but most of them are they just become increasingly characterless. Reese Mogg gets someone else to blacklist his great, I can tell you. <laughs> but Dennis is He's great. So imagine how many you must have. He's in a mansion, isn't he? He was called the Beast of Bolsover because he was a he was a for most people at the Commons, me included, were terrified of Dennis in his in his prime. I can't and believe he, you're terrified he, of anyone. He was thrown out of the Commons on ten occasions. <laughs> on one occasion, it was for calling the SDP leader, David Owen, a pompous sod. He was told to withdraw, so he withdraw the pompous only. <laughs> on another occasion, he was thrown out for calling the Tory Environment Secretary, John Gummer, the slimy wart on Maggie's nose. <laughs> and, but I have to say, there is a soft side to Dennis. Dennis, in, in his old age... Um, he, until recently, he, he would go round um, elderly, um, old, old, age, old age pensioners' homes in his constituency and he'd sing to the old folk to cheer them up. Well, let's there hope you, you, don't, you don't do anything like that and you're dirty, you'll see him off. When the scandal of young footballers sexually abused by soccer coaches was uncovered, the sports authorities said it should be made illegal for them to have sex with 16- and 17-year-olds their training, just like it is for school teachers. But the government refused. Why? To protect driving instructors. Yes, you heard that correctly. Former sports minister Tracy Crouch is leading a new attempt to introduce a ban. Well, this came about when I was sports minister and a big scandal uh, occurred uh, with historic abuse in football. Um, it was very high profile. 
uh, within the first week of a hotline being set up between the FA and the NSPCC. There were nearly 900 calls from footballers talking about historic abuse. And so it was clear that there was an issue within sport uh, historically of abuse. And sport, including football, took the, the issue very, very seriously and did all that they could to make sure that they were not only addressing historic allegations, but they were also looking at current safeguarding practices. And they did what they had to do um, in terms of strengthening those safeguarding practices. But what they asked of government was for government to consider closing the loophole in the positions of trust legislation. Now, the positions of trust legislation is contained within the Sexual Offences Act. Um, it means that if you are in a position of tr trust, such as a teacher, for example, you cannot have a relationship with a 16 or 17-year-old student. Um, but the list is quite narrow, the number of professions that are included in this legislation, and sports coaches is not one of those. And I very much agreed with sport that this was a loophole and it ought to be closed. And so what happened? Why, what, you were the sports minister. Why wasn't it closed? Well, I very much wanted it, and DCMS as a whole were very supportive of the closure happening. Unfortunately, the legislation is owned by the Ministry of Justice. And um, despite the fact that the Ministry of Justice minister at the time agreed uh, that to the principle that the legislation needed to be closed, there was always a bit of of anxiety, I think, by officials behind the scenes, um, that this could uh, mean that the prescribed list becomes larger and larger and larger, uh, or greater and greater, and it um, was um, something that concerned them. And, and so the argument was that, that if you did it for sports teachers, you'd have to do it for driving instructors, you'd have to do it for music teachers. Or private tutors, or anyone, anyone that had a position how can, they, how, how can they, surely you can't justify a music teacher or a driving instructor having a sexual relationship with someone who's 16 or 17? Well, I agree. I mean, I think that there was a concern that this could be seen as a backdoor uh, way of uh, raising the age of consent, which it's certainly not. Um, but it is about making sure that those who have um, a, a power balance, if you like, over uh, somebody else is that they can't have that sexual relationship. They can't use the power that they have to um, coerce people into a relationship with them for a quid pro quo. And I think that was something that uh, sport was very concerned about. I remain incredibly concerned. I'm enormously disappointed that there has been no progress uh, on this issue. I mean, this is an issue now that's three years old. Um, and um, it is something that, for me, seems like a complete no-brainer and actually not very difficult to do. But give, give, give me an example of, 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 of the kind of way that, that, that a sports teacher, for example, could, could use their influence in, in, a, in an impact proper way. So I remember hearing a very powerful interview with an Olympic swimmer um, who had been abused um, uh, by her coach and the abuse had continued it, it, throughout her life. It started very young, much younger than the age of consent, but it had gone on and as she got older and she got better uh, and was going up the elite level, um, it became a case of you know, which competition she was swimming in, depending on how compliant she was. Now, but 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 but, you, but you're, what you're suggesting is that, that coaches can use that use that as as what as as a as a means of sexual favours from these kids. Absolutely, and into and, and can groom from a young age. So you can groom a relationship in terms of creating a friendship until that they are the age of consent, and then at the age of consent, you can then take that friendship to another 
level uh, and um, in return unfortunately um, abuse that position of trust that, that power at the same time I mean I'm torn over this Amanda I mean on on, on the one hand I, I'm no great fan of legislating for everything of the nanny state and one has to take personal responsibility but on the other it's quite hard to justify not giving the same protection to a 16 year old girl swimmer or boy footballer from a sports coach that you that you'd autom that you give now under the law to e every pupil in the school i know it just doesn't make sense does it and um, sometimes the law's an ass and as Tracy was saying, these these children are often groomed from very young ages. You know, it's like 12, 13. And so they form these very intense relationships. I mean, I suppose the only um, the only spin side of it is a lot of 17-year-olds are, are quite sort of sexually active now anyway mm. um, and making decisions for themselves. And the last thing you'd want is the age of consent rising. Sure, some are, but then some, some of those children and their children are very vulnerable. You can imagine young, vulnerable gymnasts or and all sorts of things being completely inappropriate for some bullying teacher to take advantage of them. I know, just sexual predators, you know, it's an open season for them. Go, tra Tracy, get it changed. Yeah, I mean, I mean tra Tracy, you should say Tracy's an extraordinary woman. I mean, she was a cabinet minister. She turned down a cabinet post from, from Boris because she's got a, a, young, a young child of her own. And she's actually an incredibly talented footballer. And uh, she told me her record for keeping up is, is 32. It makes my three and a half look pretty feeble. And I think even then I sprained my ankle. Uh, can you do three and a half? OK, Simon, what's your topical tune for this week? I hope it's something I've heard of for a change. Well, uh, our topical tune this week has been chosen by our, our unseen guest on the show this week, Megan Boo, who's here doing some work experience. Hi, Megan. Her choice is coronavirus-themed. It's the Beatles. I want to hold your... Hand. That oh. is fantastic. Of oh. Obviously, who doesn't know? I want I want to hold your hand. I noticed this week the Beatles, they're back in the charts. I think is the tenth best-selling band for last year because of the success of that film yesterday. And I want to hold your hand was one of their earliest. And on the face of it, like so many Beatles songs, it sounds so simplistic. But this is what the musicologist Alan Pollack said about it. He said it's distinguished by abrupt syncopations, non-intuitive two-part vocal harmony, falsetto screaming, an occasionally novel chord progression and elided phrasing. Well, they ain't going to say that about any Ed Sheeran song, that's for sure. Do you want me to sing a bit? No, please, 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 <laughs> quick, play the song, play the song. Oh, yeah, i tell you something I think you'll understand Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Don't forget, you'll be able to listen back to this and all our other Mail Plus radio podcasts at mailplus.co.uk or via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Join us next week for more political chat. But for now, that's all from me, Simon Walters. And from me, Amanda Platel. Good Goodbye. Goodbye.